0: So in being honest with him you you become more honest with yourself.
1: Hello, this is The Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining us today are my friends and yours, Karen
0: one I'm first. I'm so excited.
1: First today. Uh, I I'm going to change it up. And Tracy. Good morning. And Eric. And I'm here. I don't know if I changed it up or just went exactly backwards. I never really paid that close <laughs> attention to it. <laughs> I think I just kind of go on autopilot and, and away we go. <laughs> well, guys, we got an email this week.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Was it from your wife?
1: It was. <laughs> but I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> I'm going to read it anyway Just so everybody knows it works And you can reach us too At attvpodcasts At theadventure.org The email reads as follows Matt keeps saying he wants emails I do Even though I have him here in my house with me I thought I would oblige him Thanks hon And send an email I have a couple questions about some of the previous readings Number one Micah. The Micah that is read about in Judges 17. Is this the same Micah as in the book of Micah? Just curious. if We'll find out more about him in the future of this podcast. Karen, your Bible's got the timeline, right?
0: Yeah, I'm grabbing it. Let me uh, Let me look here. I just went, no, I have, I have, it's a King James, which is not my preference for readings, but I keep it because it's got this timeline, Let me look really quick.
1: Thou shalt keep thy King James Bible, for it beeth the only trueth Bible in all of creation.
0: Well, Jesus did speak King's English, so...
1: (laughs) I'm thinking that the answer to this one is probably no, because Micah seems to be talking about situations during the separation of Judah from Israel. And the mica in judges is earlier on in, in the history of Israel. But okay,
0: so it looks like they're about 700 years apart.:
1: I thought so he so.: Either
0: was vegetarian and therefore <laughs> incredibly long-lived. First example of the blue zone, or it's a different mica.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was what I thought. Okay, question number two. Phinehas, the Phinehas that is Eli's son in Samuel or First Samuel chapter two, is this the same Phinehas as in Phinehas son of Eleazar? I'm thinking what? not. Eli equals Ele- Eleazar? Question mark. No. I'm thinking no. no. Because again, I think we're talking generations apart. But I can see how that you could maybe think that possibly with the similarities in the name, like Eli potentially well, being a short version of Eleazar, but I don't think so.
0: <clears throat> I don't think the Bible goes with nicknames very much but I think there's a little bit of a modern tendency since we're reading since we can read a number of chapters sitting down we just read it in one chunk like I think somehow in our heads that turns into like one chunk of time and that that is not the case like we we've paused and talked about that before how when <clears throat> when local people would say I think most recently it was like the enemies of Israel was like, oh, be careful. They're bringing, I think it was the Philistines, oh, be careful. They're bringing the ark into battle with them. And that's the symbol of their God. And their God is the one that brought them out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea. And And that was 350 years before that battle was going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. just as we sit down and read it a few pages apart does not mean that it is not ha- happening across a Centuries and centuries long timeline. Yeah, yeah. Now, in this case, did she give citations? I mean, I can look them up.
1: Uh, she only gave First Samuel chapter two, but I did have to look it up. And and Eleazar was Aaron's son from way back oh. in Genesis six. Oh yeah, so, no, that's yeah. So yeah, so it's like I again, I don't, I don't think so. I think we're way too far apart here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> okay, third question: prophecy in First Samuel chapter two. Was it chapter 2? I had to look it up. Uh, 27 through 36, there is a prophecy against the house of Eli, specifically verse 31. Mm -hmm. Do you think anyone from that family line living today still do not reach old age? So I had to look that up. This is in uh, chapter 5, actually. No, where was it? I lost it again.
0: Just a few, I remember when we read through this, and there was... um, In chapter 4, verse 17, they bring Eli the news of what happened in the battle with the Philistines. The man who brought the news replied, well, okay, so Eli, remember he takes a chair and he's sitting by the road and he's waiting for news. Yeah. And so he says, what happened, my son? Verse 17, the man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines. The army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phineas, are dead, and the Ark of the Lord has been captured. Okay, so then, um, then Eli is so in shock that he falls backward. His neck is broken, for he is an old man and heavy, and he dies. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, and near the time of delivery, when she heard the news that the Ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, She went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. As she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond. So Ichabod. So that's the only surviving male descendant.
1: That we know of.
0: Yeah. Well, the other son, there's no reference to a wife or a child or a pregnancy. So... Because of the curse that's listed earlier, I guess I assumed that this was comprehensive information. But I guess we would have to follow up and see if Ichabod is tracked anywhere in the Bible. But that's the only one I know of.
1: Right. So, uh, yeah, it's probably. I mean, ultimately, it's probably one of those things that interesting for curiosity's sake. Probably in the wide scheme of things, not terribly important to know. My ba- my my first guess would be probably that the house of Eli doesn't even exist anymore you know that, that, it'd be, that i suppose they could be descendants but i mean that was thousands of years ago it's very possible that eli's line just died out yeah so um short answer don't know <laughs> it would be interesting though to know if if uh that was a, was a genetic line that was just chronically short-lived you know but yep short answer don't know Uh, She finishes off. Thank you all for doing this podcast. I'm not sure how many faithful listeners you have, but I am one to be sure. Thanks again, hon. I started listening several months after you started, so I'm a little behind. Only three episodes, I think. But each and every one has been eye-opening and full of information. I really like how you all can take what happened thousands of years ago and make it relevant to me today. I'm almost ashamed to say it, but this is probably the first time in my life that I've actually truly looked forward to opening the Bible and studying you make it real and relatable. Thank you. Keep up the great work. And that is my wonderful wife, my, my my greatest fan, Shannon. So, yeah, folks, if you want to send us an email anytime, I don't care how, how long ago, how, how how far back behind our recordings you are, you can ask us a question anytime because the Bible is timeless. And um, if you have questions, chances are somebody else has questions. And, uh, we are, I'm thrilled, I'm thrilled to look in those questions, because maybe there, you maybe have questions we haven't thought about. So, absolutely, send us email at podcast at theadventure.org. Okay, well, let's get into our discussion for this week. Now, we had been going through First Samuel, and right up, well, through a lot of David having to deal with uh, Saul constantly trying to kill him because Saul is so, oh, what do you want to say? Worked up over the idea of, of losing the throne and knowing that David is set up to succeed him, I guess, instead of his son, Jonathan, and he's been chasing David all over the countryside. uh, And, um, we got one of the Fun stories of the Bible where David sneaks up behind Saul while he's in a cave taking care of some business and and cuts off a piece of his robe and just shows him, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to kill you. I'm not interested in taking anything that you have. I'm not your enemy. And so that was where our reading kind of left off last week. And this week, we got a big fistful of psalms to go through, starting with Psalm number 7. And these are all Psalms, Well, I guess they don't all specifically say they're written by David, but I'm assuming they're all written by David. Most of them say they are. But these are all from David's perspective, and I was noticing how the Psalms, when you're studying Psalms, it's a very different, it's kind of a different style of study than what we've been doing in the past, where we've been looking at stories and... You know, occasionally you get a little statement somebody says that you might pull a little piece of theology from. But Psalms is not so much, it's not story at all. It's really a glimpse right into somebody's mind, somebody's state of mind, the way they're thinking, how they're thinking. There's more of an emotional quality to it. Can I just go out on a limb and say,
2: when I was reading these, it was kind of like the blues.
0: Oh, my goodness. A little bit, yeah. Minded me of high school.
2: Oh. oh, you know what I mean? It's just somebody kind of pouring out their heart, kind of randomly things that are going on. Yeah, got some got some decisions to make. <laughs> just kind of telling telling you where
1: you're at, where he's at in life. You just got me going here, Tracy. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm not, I'm not oh to Lord, my this. God! You, I put
2: my trust. You know, I'm not trying to make light of it, but it's no, it's really just, like, heartfelt. And yeah. honestly, I kind of felt like he was just kind of, you know, laying around with the, the harp there, the lyre, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Well, you he's got a guy constantly trying to kill him. Yeah. It, I think it's that always, would be depressing. It's always that. It's, it's kind of like what we were talking about. It's, you know, some of these he was on the run. Some of these he was in some trouble and it's just like pouring out his heart to God saying, you know what, where do I go? What do I do? You yeah. know, I'm I'm I have I'm in a dilemma right now.
3: Yeah. Well, oh, absolutely. Great analogy. I've heard it also said that it's it's more like a prayer journal than a theological treatise because he he goes from hope to despair and so on. But I mean it just it's yeah, it's it's all over the place and it's a lot more it's a, it's a lot i guess i would say maybe it's the whole picture of the up and down instead of just the high points like hey everything's gonna be great just as long as you're trusting god you'll be happy and everything will be great it's it's a lot more um transparent than that i guess not to say the other isn't transparent but this is a more complete narrative i i think your blues analogy is a really good one Tracy yeah i was poking a little fun there but i think you're I think you're actually really accurate there. And I'm going to do a plug here um, for I, I'm, going to, I'm going to look this up while you're while we're while I'm talking here. But there's um, a book that I read called Finding the Groove. Yep, it is is by Robert Gelinas. It is uh, G E L I N A S. It is uh, composing a jazz shaped faith. I met him on a photo assignment uh, a couple years ago, and in, in my opinion, an incredibly good book, because it does liken the Christian walk to how jazz works, how sometimes it's this instrument, sometimes it's the other instrument, sometimes you're quiet, sometimes you basically step out and you have to give each other turns. It makes a lot more sense of, like the Psalms, for example. Then if you just try to read through as if it's like a Chopin piece where it's all the same thing and it just kind of sometimes faster, sometimes slower, but it's basically all the same thing. Uh, yeah, Robert Gelinas, Finding the Groove. I thought it was an excellent, excellent book and kind of makes more sense of it than, than sometimes the way we want to read these things. Hmm.
0: I remember when you read that book, you were raving about it at the time.
1: Yeah, this thing's still good. Huh. Isn't? Yeah, interesting. Interesting when you think about how, and we maybe have talked about it before, about how song and music sticks with us. You know, you, st- you, we were we were joking before we started recording about our kids coming home and talking about pop songs that that they think are amazing, and we don't know at all, but we could probably all recite the the uh, the, the lyrics to Jesse's Girl without hardly a <laughs> hardly thinking about it. You know, and how how long? Well, we don't want to talk about how long ago that song came out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but really, I mean, you know, David here is putting things down in music form. I mean, it, it probably would sound very different to our ears. I mean, obviously, it's in a different language, a different style. You know, but, I, was thinking,
2: I was thinking about this, too, that, you know, not to, to grab somebody's quote, but Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Keys of Life. Hmm. That, yeah. you know what, there's music that goes along with every single moment in your life that you can kind of, that when you hear that song, it brings you back to something that you were doing. Yeah. So, you know, I think that it all kind of, kind of winds in and lets you know exactly where you're at, you know, in life, you kind of can associate it with music, something that touches your heart, something that sparks some emotion. But no, I, I, I see your point exactly. Cause we sit, sometimes we sit there at work and it's like it's funny that there's a large storage part in my brain that can recite every single lyric to the songs like you're talking about but you know there's days I can struggle with okay what's the what's in the limit range for potassium or something like that and I have to go look but ask me a song and I could you know give you the first couple you know lyrics that there, that goes along with it but I think it's just part of life that you can
1: associate it with.
0: I, I never know the range for potassium, but that's that's <laughs> fine. <clears throat> anyway, so... I sure th-
1: want to know, though. <laughs>
0: um, one of the things I noticed as I was reading through <clears throat> these Psalms this week is that there were, there were a number of places... It's like reading Shakespeare, right? There were a number of places where I would be like, oh, I know that verse. And I knew that verse because it had been written into a song, right? And I know that um, a couple years ago they did a study and they, so most, most people go to church on the weekend, right? And so what they did was they went around and they asked Christians of all, all denominations on Wednesday, do you remember what the sermon was about? Oh. And 8% did, right? And then they asked them, do you remember what songs you sang? And eighty percent did, right? And that's the whole idea, is you know. And this is kind of like a thing in pedagogy: is like, what are the best ways to teach? Well, and what they're what they're kind of finding is that, particularly with learning English as a second language, if you can teach it in song, it will be captured and remembered, and re- and you know, then they can spit it back out later in context, even without the music. So it's. And it, and it's because it's multisensory, right? It's, it's educational input, but it's multisensory, which makes it easier to remember. So you've got words, you've got melody, you've got rhythm. If you're teaching in a classroom, you can have the children stand up and dance, right? Not so much in church. I mean, you could, but it might get weird. I don't know. But you, so it's, it's multisensory learning, which implants it deeper, whether, whether you want it there or not. There it is. But um, anyway, that's just kind of interesting. But every time I see a Shakespeare play, I think to myself, oh, my gosh, I hear people use that phrase in common English all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was the same when I was reading through the Psalms. It's like, oh, I've, I've heard that. That's in that song. I've heard that. That's in that song. And I had these little bursts of melody going through my head because somebody centuries later wrote that text into a praise song or a hymn or something like that.
1: Yeah. All right, Well, let's start talking here about Psalm 7 says it's a prayer and praise for deliverance from enemies, which is very poignant considering, like I said, how David is being constantly chased by by Saul and his men. What stuck out to you the most? I mean, you know, right off the bat, you know, I, I I poked a little fun here earlier, but he starts out, oh, Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. I mean, what a place to start when you are down, when you feel like the world is against you. You know, things are just not going your way. What better place, what better place to put your trust? And this like starts right out to me with, you know, David has said to be after God's own heart, right? And, and to, to immediately start this out where when things are going poorly, this is the first thing we read from him here is that he's trusting in God. And he goes on there. He's like, save me and deliver me. And then he immediately, he says, let basically, he's like, let me suffer the consequences if I've wronged someone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's very willing to take responsibility for it if he's done something wrong. Right. If I've done this, then fine, punish me. But I don't think that I have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've known a lot of people who things, you know, when things aren't going their way, they don't want to take responsibility. And, you know, looking at it from an outside perspective, a lot of times you can see, well, yeah, you're Things are going bad because you your life is a wreck and and you're doing nothing to change it. You know, and, but that's not that's not the case for David here. He's 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 perfectly willing to take that responsibility. Reminded me a little bit of Job, I guess, when he was yeah. talking about if I've done something wrong, tell me. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: um, there was a one of the one of the one of the one of the things that the New Testament talks about that I particularly like is by their fruit, you will know them. Like, what are what are the results that you see coming up in, right? And um, in verse 14 of Psalm 7, it says, it, it, it uh, compares that to uh, pregnancy. Whoever is pregnant with evil, conceives trouble, gives birth to disillusionment. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like a cause and effect thing.
3: Which, by the way, that's quoted almost directly in James one fifteen. <laughs> mm. But yeah, makes sense You
1: know, if, you're, if, if your life If your life is tending towards uh, Well, I mean, I guess we could say failure If it's tending towards Towards hardships and struggles and troubles Maybe it's time to examine Why? Why is it? What am I doing? It's not always our fault But there does definitely seem to be there, there's definitely correlation. Usually, more often than not, there's correlation with how am I living my life in compared to what are the results I'm getting. You look around. You look around, and you say, "If you say my life's a, a wreck, and I'm sitting on the couch eating a bag of potato chips, which you know we're all want to do on on occasion, but um, if that's your regular, if that's your regular day, and your health is bad, and your your finances are bad." There's probably a correlation. How does it go? You reap what you sow. You know, whatever you plant, that's what you're gonna. That's what you're gonna harvest.
0: Understanding that you also, we also live in a sinful world where people are operating outside of our will. Yeah. You know, like we, like we only have influence on ourselves and maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I wouldn't try to take too much ownership for everything the world flings at you.
3: No, but to his yep. point is we have to evaluate how much is within my yep. realm of, of – uh, there's a word called responsibility. You break mm-hmm. it down, and it's response ability. You have the ability to respond. Yeah. And the things that are within our response ability we need to look at. Mm-hmm. David runs this – he runs several themes that we'll see over and over. The refuge theme Matt mentioned. Uh, the the wicked, the the shenanigans of the wicked uh, come up again and again. And here's one that's in verse nine. He's asking for the let the days of the wicked come come to an end. And it's very interesting is that David leaves this judgment, not the judgment, but the execution of the judgment of the wicked to God. He he'll evaluate somebody's behavior as wicked, but then he says, God, you take care of it instead mm-hmm. of empower me to kill them that's a very interesting thing which is echoed by his behavior in the cave where he spares saul's life but at the very end of verse 9 here in chapter 7 of psalms it says you who test the minds and hearts is that we see david basically drawing attention to the fact that god does test us it's just a recurring theme that's all i want to say
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I remember putting somewhere in my notes here, and I know we're gonna come across this again. Oh, I'm all the way. Yeah, I'm looking at thirty four. No, I don't know. There's a lot of times here when David actively asks for the punishment of his enemies, like asks for sometimes ask for their destruction, asks for their, but definitely asking for 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 not yeah. good things on his enemies. Do you think that's a is that a valid prayer to ask?
0: I think it's an emotional prayer.
1: Yeah. Maybe a little situational. Yeah.
0: Well, I think just, it's yeah. honest. Yeah. I mean,
3: it's, it's an honest thing. It's, it's, it's a, hey, um, that just doesn't seem fair. Are you going to step in and do something? Mm. I mean, we see David ask this over and over, and he's dealing with things in his world, in a very practical way, he's being pushed around by a king who wants to kill him. In spite of the fact that um, God said, "Hey, you're going to be, you're going to be the king at some point here," and David's probably wondering, "So uh, what's up with that? When is that going to happen?" So, yeah, I think it's a very real thing that David asks for that because he thinks it's not fair. It's I made a note in a verse eight that David seeks. And in seven, sorry, in seven, David seeks judgment. He wants God to judge him. And and I think that that's a very unique thing. We tend to fear judgment, but we tend to fear judgment when we know we're going to be judged wrong. When mm-hmm. we know we're going to be judged and held, um, I guess, exonerated is the word. Karen's the legal person here, but that we seek it. It's like, hey, the sooner the sooner we get this done, the better. So yeah,
0: he's, he's sure of himself in eight. He's like, vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity.
1: Yeah, when I was reading that, I thought, wow, that's kind of a dangerous step to take there, bud. <laughs> um, but you know what? I, there is a contrast to that, though, because you get in verse 17. It says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It is interesting. But he, he, he's just, I think the point of that is he's just, he's willing to face up to whatever. Let's move on to uh, Psalm 27. Now, if, you're, if this is the first time you're reading, we're bouncing all around the Psalms quite a bit this week in our chronological reading. Um, so um, if you say, why are they bouncing around? Well, it's because, because apparently I'm not exactly sure how the Psalms are arranged. But there are Psalms way towards the end of the book of Psalms that are definitely from David. And there's, and there's some from the beginnings that are from David. And they're from time periods that we're reading about right now. And, and for whatever reason, they've been compiled the way they have. So that's why we're, we're, we're bouncing around, because some Bible scholars have, have picked, it, picked them out to, um, to, to correspond with, with the stories that we've been reading. But so Psalm 27, it says an exuberant declaration of faith in the Psalm of David. I like the very way, again, I like the way he starts out. Who will I fear when God is my light, my salvation, my strength? I don't think that's an exact quote. I think that was my paraphrase there. But who will I fear if, if God is on my side, basically?
0: That's a Chris Tomlin <laughs> song. oh
1: <laughs> well, there you go. See, it's another song. David's David's songs uh, uh, inspiring others. And he says, I want one thing. Let's see here. It starts in verse 4. Yeah, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, for some reason, I'm, I'm reading my notes Verses. Oh, I'm in the wrong... I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong... Chapter. Wrong chapter. Yeah, you are. Yeah. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I may dwell in, the, in his house. So basically... The only thing I want, the one thing I want is to live with God.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that whole thing of verse 4 I thought was really beautiful. I I paused and underlined it. I had heard it before, but it was like, "Mm, no, I really like that. one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. That's it. And and it reminded me of a verse in uh, Revelation where it talks about the second coming and how everything winds up. And then it ends with saying, and so shall we ever be with God. It's Mm. like, oh, there we go. Yeah,
3: Yeah. there's there's. I just finished Revelation in my kind of, I guess you'd say it, offline reading. And the throne of God is surrounded perpetually by the four living creatures and by the 24 elders. It's kind of like these concentric rings of people who just, they want to be there. I kind of, I've read that a number of times and I'm thinking, man, that seems pretty boring. I want to kind of get out and get around a little bit, but they seem to want that more than anything else. And it's interesting that David is uh, highlighting that as the place that he would want to be. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thinking of a song again here. I don't remember who sings it. I want to know you. I want to see your face.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know who sings that, but. You probably know the song.
0: I do. Yeah, I know the song. I don't remember.
1: Verse 5 stood out to me, too. uh, And my paraphrase here is, God will protect me when I'm in trouble. And then in parentheses, I put, trouble will come. Because the the way it's written, it says, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. It's not like, well, if something bad happens, God will be there to catch me. No, this this is in the time of trouble. So this is when bad things come, God will protect me. And this is an important thing for us to remember, is that, yeah, things things will go bad in your life. And... he will set me high upon a rock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't... You may not get the results you want. You know, protection might not mean that uh, you come out unscathed. It may not mean that um, you don't... Still suffers some hardships, but you know this protection is in the long run. It's in the it's in the long haul of things. It's, yeah. um, and it may not even be part of this what we'll consider mortality. You know,
2: I think yeah. it's like what we said before in the in the past in the previous episodes is that it's we only can see that small snippet of time that's right in front of us. Mm -hmm. but God sees the whole picture and what he's doing in like you're saying not to get out of it unscathed, you might need that experience somewhere else down the road. It might be beneficial for, for you, your family, somebody else, your church family, but it might, you know, come in handy. I think it's part that we just can't see the big picture.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And don't, and don't, don't, um, you know, I'm I'm hearing in my head while we're talking about this. I'm hearing, you know, in this world you will have trouble, but mm. do not fear. I have overcome the world. Yeah, and like this. This is this. What we're seeing here, what we're dealing with here, it it ain't always great, but it's also not the point, right, or the finish line, or the res, You know, the final result. Yeah.
3: So here in Psalms. 27 you mentioned something about mortality and so on and again here's a theme that seems to show up repeatedly and that is david saying hey keep me alive so that i can praise you and in 27 13 is a, is a hint at this i believe that i shall look upon the goodness of the lord in the land of the living in the, in others he says basically keep me alive so that i can praise you this one doesn't say that but it does say you know I believe I'll look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I've noticed a theme in Psalms is that he's he wants to praise God, but that is always equated with him being alive, not dead. In other words, if he dies, and it would seem odd that if he died and went straight to heaven, that he would not praise God. He sees this as, well, hey, bro, I'm dead. I can't praise you. Mm. Um and he's saying, "Hey, then this reminded me of something we read before. I'll read it in Psalms, and then I'll read it elsewhere. See if you can tell where it is." I believe that I shall look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now listen to this: For I know that my redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, for right, my is myself. And my eyes shall not, my eyes shall behold and not another. Little we'll handle.
0: Well yeah that too speaking of music but wasn't that
1: dope?
3: <laughs> yes, it was it's joke? Yes it's still yeah. joke chapter 19 uh, 25 26 and 27 it's, it's also to my point is that the Bible if we look through it and we and we study it and we're reading through it we will start to see patterns we'll start to see consistencies of things we'll say oh wait a minute this author mentioned that oh you know what this other author mentioned that same thing and there and this helps us understand things that are perceived to be inconsistencies, or or things that are confusing. It's like what's going on here. It's like, well, did anybody else have anything to say about this? And if they did, what did they say? And how does that fit with what we've already read? I don't know. That just struck me as how Job um, shows up again here. This idea of praising God, but doing it in a we. I don't get. I guess my point too is is that. It doesn't appear to be in either Job or in Psalms that this praising is happening by some bodiless soul in some mist, you know, mist filled, purplish, you know, pre sunrise bodiless space. I mean, it's it's a it's a real deal. Like I'm here, I'm singing, I'm going to see him in my, uh, you know, with my own eyeballs, in my own flesh, um, in the land of the living. I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the part I picked out of that verse thirteen is, "I would have lost heart unless I had believed." Yeah, that's cool. you know, yeah. There's, there, there's, there is a lot to be said. You know, what was I just talking about? How, how God, for in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. You know, mm-hmm. saying that when there's trouble, God will protect us. Well, just, just having that belief, just having that knowledge that God exists and is watching over me. That he desires good things for me, that that gets me through a lot of troublesome times. You know. Yeah,
0: and if you follow thirteen with fourteen, it that's the confidence you know that that he's talking about. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So thirteen, let's see, you were you're in New King James, right, Matt?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So in New King James, it's I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and then 14 wait on the lord be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart wait i say on the lord
1: yeah yeah and he'll strengthen your heart you know that that's that's a big part of it you know confidence of of knowing that that god is on your side god is looking out for you god's watching out for you
0: Peace even that if this is all understanding
1: yeah well yeah and even if things suck right now you know even if you know, you've lost your job. Your health is, is is garbage. You know, whatever. If you if you still believe that God is looking out for you, I've seen a lot of people in terrible situations in life who who believe adamantly in God, and these things don't get them down. You know, into into deep deep depression. They they still have a they still have a cheerfulness in their heart, and you can't you can't ex- you can't explain that by any kind of worldly means, as far as I can see. But but you you just know that these are people who love God and believe in Him and believe that He's watching out for them, and it makes their whole outlook look on their situation better.
0: Yeah, when you have that kind of safety net, when you have that sort of background belief in this ongoing structure, this overarching plan, you can kind of step back from the sometimes awful or traumatic details of what's happening in front of you and be like, okay, this is yeah. awful. I need to take some deep breaths until this passes, kind of a thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: moving on to Psalm
1: 31. A, the Lord, a fortress in adversity. That's kind of a cool Analogy there, the God is a fortress in in adversity. And I was reading somewhere, I think it was in Isaiah talking about how God is your salvation. You know, it's it's a, it's messianic looking towards, and, and specifically talking about Jesus. Jesus is your salvation. So the, here, the idea of the God is a fortress.
0: If these are Psalms that he wrote while he was on the run, or or Psalms that fit in with that theme, well, we know from what we what we read. Last week that they were they were literally climbing on the cliffs
1: mm-hmm.
0: of of in what was it in where they were. St- it was the part of the country where they were above the big oasis thing. They're climbing on the cliffs with the ibis and hiding in caves. So mm. so the idea of a fortress is very, very literal. If that's, you know, if that's where he's at in his life. And that's really cool to think of God that way.
1: Yeah. Well, Psalm 31. <laughs> Starting in verse 1, he says again, I will trust in God. And he says, don't let me be ashamed. And later on in verse 17, he says that again, do not, do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Mm-hmm. You know, at first at first blush, I was thinking he was saying, don't let me be ashamed about trusting in God. What I'm realizing here is what he's actually saying is, don't let me be ashamed or or I shouldn't have shame because I have trusted in you. If I hadn't trusted in you, then I would have reason to be ashamed. Does that make sense?
0: That's an interesting way to look at it. I kind of, okay, so I've got a couple of paraphrases here. I've got a side-by-side parallel Bible. So if I look at 17, my two paraphrases are New Living Translation and The Message, New Living Translation says, Don't let me be disgraced, O Lord, for I call out to you for help. And then the message says, Don't embarrass me by not showing up. Mm. Which is and that that is more how I took it in my head, is like the dis, the um what, what do you call it? Put to shame. You know, I've I've called out to you. And knowing David, he did it publicly. Like, think about how he approached, think about how he approached, um, Goliath. Like, Oh, you, who is this Philistine dog? You think you're going to come to me in your own might? Well, I come to you in the name of God. And then he goes out there. Well, well, then what if Goliath had won? That's kind of how I took it. In fact, that's the mental image that came to mind when he says, don't let me be put to shame is like I've done this publicly. I've called on you publicly. Back me up on this.
1: Mhm. It could be. It could be. I was I was you know I guess I was playing maybe a bit on the way the way it's worded because it's 17. The last half of 17 is let the wicked be ashamed. Right. Yeah, you know, so don't let me be ashamed, God. I've I've called on you. Don't let me be ashamed. Let the wicked be ashamed. At any rate, I think either way it's it's I I not I'm not going to be ashamed for following God. I think that um,
3: in today's culture, we roll right past that that shame. But shame and honor was everything. When you think about Middle Eastern culture today, even still, that shame and, and Asian culture that shame, bringing shame on your family, bringing shame on yourself, is a thing. I mean, there are cultures where you you, you know you're obliged to commit suicide if you bring shame. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it's a big today i mean the most shameful things you could do that's what gets you on the tabloid covers and so let's do it and then let's publish it and then let's leak the video of it it's like there is no there is no floor to the level of shame that people will do and publish in american culture there's just there's just no floor on it but in, in in what we're reading in the Bible. These people had a very, 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 very different view of shame and honor, and it was everything. So that's a theme that shows up again and again in David's writing. So however we look at it, it's a a big, big deal. Also, another theme shows up at the end of verse 7, the distress of my soul. I think a lot of times we think that we believe that God is concerned only with, um, like, Well, as long as we get salvation, that's good enough. You know, if you suffer physically, eh, that's what happens. It's okay. Just God doesn't really care about that stuff. And he certainly doesn't care about our soul and our heart. And I think that is wrong. David says, you know, you you have known the distress of my soul. And it sounds again like we see in Psalm 7, 2. And uh, again, in verse 9. I'm in distress, you know, my soul and my body also. David's laying it all out there, like Tracy's brought up at the very beginning, is that it's okay for him to, and us, I believe, to say, hey, my soul hurts.
1: Well, verse 2, briefly, just a little piece that that stuck out to me, where David considers God his rock of refuge.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, That stuck out to me, is that idea of of the rock. Verse 5. Verse five ought to sound familiar to us. Yeah. Into your hand I commit my spirit.
0: <laughs> Notice that.
1: The exact quote that Jesus that that Jesus said on the cross before he died. Into your hand I commit my spirit. So that's not lost not lost on me here. Seeing that that came from from far back before Jesus. See, so there's a there's a lot of repeated uh, themes through all of these Psalms that we read today. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. Verse seven, verses nine through 13, have mercy on my failings. I'm surrounded by people who hate me. Verse 14, but I trust you, God. Uh, 18, 18 stuck out to me pretty good. Let the lying lips be put to silence. We got a lot of, um, (laughs) things in the, in the, you know, going around about things like fake news or, or cancel cultures, things like this, you know, wanting wanting to silence things we don't. Well, we see them as untrue. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's probably not a bad thing to want only the truth to be spoken. But it doesn't sound here like David is like, let me silence their lips. He's just like, let, let them be silent. It's like, God, you know, he's because this is also, you know, these psalms are basically prayers, but it's yeah. like, God, let,
3: let, i going not
1: let you, you silence them. Yeah. I'm not going to try to
3: silence them. Yep, that's it, and that is a theme of David's life, too, because remember, he's, being, he's been anointed to be king, and yet he's being chased around by an illegitimate king who is a crazy man. The last thing that we know that Saul did is he brought in the high priest of the nation and all of his assistants and all of their families and had them slaughtered. I mean, if you lived in Israel at the time and you said that was your leader, you'd think, We have a crazy man as our chief right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so if there was ever a time when David would be justified to stand up and say, I'm gonna take this into my own hands. It would be in the circumstances like this. And this is when he's writing these poems, as all of this is going on. And he puts it into God's hands to deal with it. I mean, he's got the support of his people. His people say, yeah, you take revenge on Saul. I mean, this is obviously a sign from God that that you have control over his life and you should kill him. You have this opportunity. It's a divine opportunity is how they put it. And David says, no, I'm actually going to let God handle this. And it, it's, it's spoken literally over and over in the Psalms. Hey God, this isn't fair. I'm going to let you handle this, but Hey, I'm going to ask you to do it instead of just like sitting on my hands. I'm going to actually ask you to get involved with it.
0: Well, one of the Psalms that we're coming up on is, is actually he, he's, he writes it about Doeg the Edomite, who is the one who killed all of those priests. So I thought that that one was particularly interesting. But this sort of this this ongoing cry for justice and truth that is very reminiscent of what of how a lot of people feel today. And the world is so complex and filled with layers of, quote unquote, fact and logic and human reasoning that it is very, very difficult to find the truth and know for a fact that you have it and that you have it completely enough to past judgment right so thinking you know having your own opinion that's one thing knowing that you have the full truth to the point where you're defensible at all layers of exposure that's something completely different like there's a lot of complex stuff going on and th- and i think that there's a lot of people agitated by that right now and so this continual refrain of david's where he passes it over to god where he says i feel this And I leave judgment to God. Like, I think that's marvelous. And I think that I think that that last text where he says, just wait on God, just wait, just wait. Like Jeremiah, we haven't read Jeremiah yet, but Jeremiah talks a lot about how God will handle the wicked. And like, that's that's his territory. He is the reader of hearts and minds. He does know the truth above all truths and he'll handle it. So good stuff. Mm
2: -hmm. I, I do have a question for you, I was because I was thinking about this, and I have this written down that I, I wanted to ask. But correct me if I'm wrong, but Eric, aren't you a big journaler? Uh,
3: I do, yeah, in one way or another, I do at times. Probably not in the traditional sense that people think of, but, yeah, I do have a daily discipline. What's the question?
2: Then did you see any parallels between... The Psalms, what David was writing down, what David was feeling, and your journaling.
3: Oh, yeah, 100%. This is, I think, and yeah, I think that makes more sense of the Psalms than these are just straight-up theological treatises. (laughs) These are one person, well, actually, there's a lot of different people that write different Psalms, including Moses, which we've read already, is they're pouring out their heart. Sometimes it's a public uh, praise. Sometimes it's a private praise. Concern. And I think that makes more sense of it is to follow somebody's mood. You know, it's like, hey, how are they feeling right now? What's going on in their life? And,
2: you know, and then I think it, I was looking for correlations. And then um, Karen just said something too that, you know, sometimes when you do make a decision, you have to go back and think about the rationale of why you made it. And is it defensible? Then, This is what gives it to, you know, where he was at that particular time and saying, you know what? Okay, God, I need your help. This is what I'm crying out for. This is the decision I made based on this. What was the outcome? You know, because I remember, too, and you know, looking at journalings and sometimes you go back and do the yay God for the year or for the quarter or what have you and the prayers that were answered. And you can kind of go back and validate everything that you're feeling and what was the outcomes.
1: Yeah. We need to we need to move along here, but there was one more verse here I want to talk about. Verse twenty-two, and, and the way I paraphrased it is: God hears even when we think He's cut us off. And I had to go back and read it again. That verse starts out with David saying, "For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before Your eyes." And verse that Matt uh, verse twenty-two in Psalm thirty-one. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from Your eyes. This is David. He obviously had been feeling like maybe God just wasn't watching out for him, mm-hmm. you know. And I've known who, people who have thought, yeah, God doesn't care about me. But David is making it clear that that's, that's a hasty reaction. Things aren't going my way, therefore God just doesn't care. Well, no, David David is saying that's not the case here because he continues, Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications. You know, I thought you weren't listening. But you were.
0: So I've got um, one of my versions says alarm in my alarm. And then my two paraphrases say panic. Mm
1: -hmm. In
0: panic, I cried out. Yeah. Good synonyms. Yeah.
1: So in any of those situations, that is, you know, those aren't ever good places to make decisions from. And yeah. those times when we feel like God isn't watching, isn't paying attention, be assured that he is. That's, that's sort of what David is saying there. Psalm 34. Now, this is when we get into some a specific part of what we had read. It's to start, the, the, the title in my Bible is The Happiness of Those Who Trust in God. But This is when David was pretending madness before Abimelech. Now, if you remember, Abimelech uh, was, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, he was the ruler of, oh, Gath. Gath. I was going to say Cush and I knew it was wrong. Gath, which is where Goliath was from. So David had a reputation probably in Gath and had been, he had been, uh, feigning insanity so that they would basically, you know, push him away and get him out of there rather than, um, rather than having any kind of revenge on him. Uh, verse two my soul shall make, shall make its boast in the Lord David really has a does a good job of starting out all of these by by with praise praise towards God and and putting putting his mind into the mindset of of looking to God praising God uh, recognizing God's greatness and um, when you put it into the context of he's in a place people are probably going to want to kill him. And he's feigning insanity to get away, but my soul shall put, make its boast in the Lord. So he's still he's still leaning so heavily on God, and that is so important.
3: Yeah this this um, this psalm is is a really good one. I encourage our readers to to read it, get a translation that you can understand and and read it. There's there's a bit more one liners kind of in this chapter because perhaps. This is an acrostic poem with each verse beginning with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Mm. So he's he would be starting if we were to do something like this today. A, always my God is good to me, blah, blah, blah. Before I give up, I will turn to you. C, can I ever be without the Lord? Whatever. I'm mm-hmm. not a poet. But basically, that's what's going on here um, for 22 verses is it is... Um, it is an acrostic. And so each little section kind of has its own thing. In my Bible, they're they're grouped in uh four. They're grouped in, in, in groups of four verses together. So there's a bunch of um really cool stuff, you know, in four I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. The end is is a fairly famous quote, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Starts off with another one you've heard mm-hmm. "Taste and see that the Lord is good."
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I again to the theme we've talked about about to our spirit and our hearts is in it's chapter thirty four. We're in in verse eighteen. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saved the crushed in spirit. Again, this is talking about our our emotions. It's not like, yeah, you know what? You're going to be saved forevermore. So, like, how you suffer now mentally doesn't matter to me. That's not what David's saying. He's saying that the Lord is near, especially near, to the brokenhearted. And that's a big deal. There's a lot of... I was talking to somebody else just this week, and he's trying to hire therapists. He runs a, uh, a school for troubled youth. I mean, I'm talking like severely troubled emotionally youth. He's just having a hard time hiring therapists because the demand for therapists is so high because the the need of people everywhere is so high for mental help and mental health is there's a kind of a crisis going on with that because it matters. It's, it's a thing that's going on. And David is saying the Lord is near. If you're feeling brokenhearted and crushed, the Lord is near to you.
1: Yeah, verse eight was standing out to me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Basically, give God a shot. You know, oh, taste and see that he's good. You know, it gives me an image of a kid who won't try a new dish or a, uh, yeah, a new and something new on his dinner plate because he's never had it before. You know, I don't think I'm going to like that. You know, well, give it. Try it. At least try it. You know, and that's kind of what David said. Give God a shot. Try him out. See how it goes. Um, verse 14, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Mm-hmm. That. Man, that had me thinking about the social media age, I'll tell you. I mean, I see people I see I see people starting fights about characters, and I mean brutal fights about characters from movies and television shows. Like, are are you seriously getting to this level of vitriol about a fictional character on a TV show? And they are. They absolutely are. And there's
0: I think if you go back to verse four, you'll you you'll see the why they're doing it. Like, the world is pretty scared right now. Um, yeah. Verse four is another song. It's not a song that you guys would know, but a local friend of mine who's a, a, a music leader at his church wrote a song that is based on this text. And it is gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And when I look around the world today, I see a lot of fear. And I think that's where the, like the depression and anxiety are coming from. Like, how do I even handle this? Like everything that's coming at me is so big that I feel like I have to fight for every detail of my thoughts and my feelings. And I, you know, you know, the internal vindication, the searching for, searching for calm in the storm, searching for reasons that everything is sideways. Like, it's just, it's bad out there. And so to me a lot of the stuff goes back to this verse four mm-hmm. de- being delivered from your fears
1: yeah <laughs> verse first tw- verse twenty sounded messianic to me he guards all his bones not one of them is broken yeah it's interesting to me how how these little prophetic snippets come out in these in these songs and I was having a discussion well it was just last night we were talking about how some of the somebody brought up a question of how some of the prophecies of the Old Testament seem so much clearer, and then you get to things like Revelation, and you're like, "Well, that doesn't hardly make sense at all." And why is that? And I'm thinking, "Well, you know what? It seems to me that a lot of the prophecies of the Old Testament, I wonder if people even recognize them as prophecies until until later. You know, yeah, the hindsight,
0: sure. the hindsight clarifies them absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. What were you saying, Eric? Oh,
3: Yeah, just saying yes because you're seeing them oh. in the rearview mirror.
1: Yeah, yeah. And verse 21, evil, evil shall slay the wicked. God isn't the one who causes the downfall of people. Evil people cause their own problems. Evil people, their, their downfall will come ultimately from their own bad behavior. That's the way I took that
0: one. There was a, The message had an interesting um, paraphrase of that text. It said, the wicked commit slow suicide. They mm. waste their lives hating the good yeah Mm, interesting
1: yeah yeah so you know even the idea that that god wants wicked people to suffer or wants wicked people to be destroyed no he really doesn't because the very next thing is talking about how he redeems of course he says he redeems redeems the soul of his servants but god god doesn't want the wicked destroyed
0: yeah there's there's a text in the bible where god actually says i take no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked
1: yeah Moving on to Psalm fifty-two, the end of the wicked and the peace of the godly. This is a pretty short little psalm. Uh, this is when Doeg told Saul that David was with Ahimelech. So this is this is right after David had um, escaped from his house and had run to be with uh, Ahimelech the priest. Uh, this is when he got the yeah. This is when he got the bread that Jesus talks about later on. And Doeg had been there spying us out, and knew that, that David was there. And apparently, David somehow—well, probably in hindsight—knew that David was there. Verse one: Why do you boast in evil?
0: Sarcasm, oh mighty man.
1: Yeah, oh mighty man. But why do you boast in evil? Boy, I mean, I, I see this happen. You know, I can't help it. I see this happening today. I see people—they—they—they—they they, they, they almost take a delight in ugly things, you know, in being ugly, you know, why, why would you want to be this way? It doesn't make sense to me. And I think that's kind of what David is saying here. Why do you want, why do you want that? Why, why is this something that you see as, as, um, as good, you know? And it's, it's clearly, it's not. And that's why it's so confusing to someone like David. Uh, verse five stood out. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He's talked all this time he's talking about the wicked. God will destroy the wicked forever. That's uh that's a slightly different narrative than what is is put out into general theology of of, of an eternal torment, eternal punishment. Well, torment, eternal torment. That is not what David is saying here. God will destroy
3: the wicked. Yep. I see in verse seven an interesting thing. Are you talking about putting your trust in the wrong thing? Yeah. He says, "He, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and sought refuge in his own destruction. I.e., his his um, his riches were his destruction, and he trusted in those. Um, mm-hmm. There's it can change overnight. I mean, this is going to be old news by the time we, you know, by the time this gets published. But right now, there's a big." Flap about um, uh, the stock, the stock market, and a stock exchange, and how some failing stock, GameStop, was propped up by a bunch of just home traders, and <laughs> there were some people and businesses who lost billions—that's with a B—billions of dollars, literally, in a day mm-hmm. uh, at the hands of these other people. And you hear them say, well, "That's not fair." Now I'm broke. It's like, yeah. Kind of like they're saying that easy come, easy go. Guess what? Just because you had a billion dollars yesterday doesn't mean you might have it tomorrow. And David is seeing, well, he's not foreseeing, I'm not saying he's foreseeing this exact example, but what he's saying is don't trust in riches. Elsewhere, he says don't trust in war horses, don't trust in your strength. Anything that isn't trusting in God, ultimately, he says it's going to fail. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: and Doeg strengthened himself in his wickedness. That's who he's talking about here. And that was was some nasty moves. Mm -hmm. That was some nasty moves, like going to Saul and opening up that whole can of worms and playing into Saul's paranoia and then being willing to lift his hand against not only the priests of God, but then the families of the priests of God. Like, Doeg was a piece of work, and Mm -hmm. David describes him as here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Like he's thriving on all the wrong things.
1: Yeah. and then But then David contrasts it in verse eight. I will trust in the mercy of of God forever and ever. Yep. Psalm 56. Prayer for relief from tormentors when David was captured in Gath. So this is more. Apparently he was still writing about this.
3: Uh, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. again. It's a great song. I don't know who authored that, but it's a good song. It's ironic that he writes this after he had put his trust in the King of Gath. Right.
2: And that's what I keep seeing. It's like I I question this. I go back and forth. It's like, okay, really? Because weren't you the one that kind of lied to the priest and told him you were on a secret mission? Yeah. (laughs) You know, and wasn't it you that, you know, I just kept seeing the parallels and I'm like, okay, so are you really abiding by
0: it all the time?
2: Or are you just, you know, letting it flow?
0: Well, this is a very important question on Psalm 56. When you guys read this this week, did you mentally sing it to the tune of The Silent Dove in Distant Lands? Because that's <laughs> the instructions it comes with.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs>
0: okay, just checking. I mean, it's in, it's in the instructions.
1: Can I sing it to? This is what it sounds like when the doves cry. <laughs> there's,
0: there's, it's the there's, only doves I got.
3: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so here's um, verse in uh, nine at the end. This I know that God is for me, which is echoed in Romans eight thirty one.
1: Yeah, verse seven was another one of those places too, where where. David was actively asking for the punishment of his of his uh, of yeah. his enemies and that, that was where I put my note down about is it okay to ask for this but I, I think like you said Eric it's just an honest place to be and you can always be honest with God is it okay to ask for these things maybe um maybe he doesn't uh, maybe he doesn't give it to you but you know just being honest with God that's I think that's that's the important part to remember trying to see here oh towards the end of in verses 12 and 13 i wrote down my promises to you are binding to me because you have delivered me it, it, it's sort of a place of gratitude i guess you know i know that i know that you god have have you have delivered to me you have delivered me and therefore if i promise you something i mean it you know it's a place of gratitude Alright, jumping to Psalm one twenty. Psalm one twenty, if I remember right, was a really short Psalm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I know we're kinda we're kind of screaming through these, but the truth is, they're most of these are really short. Psalm one twenty is really short. It's only seven verses. It says, plea for relief from bitter foes. Uh, deliver my soul from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. So here's more of that, you know, if there's if there are <laughs> this is probably speaking people speaking directly against david if they're lying about david deliver me from them but again you know if we are being if we are being confronted by lies ask for deliverance from it trust in god to take care of that verse 7 i am for peace but when i speak they are for war people who hate peace they are for war Again, that was that that was striking me as what I was talking about before. You know, look for peace. Stop looking. Stop looking for the conflict. Don't be constantly looking for a conflict. Don't be looking for an opportunity to jump into a discussion or not a discussion. Discussions are fine. Don't be looking for an opportunity to jump into an argument, especially I think in these days with people you don't know that are just a a, a, a random person on the other end. You know, probably sitting on the toilet on their phone. Uh, um, Telling you, telling you how awful you are for 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 liking a particular thing, you know. So seek the peace. Stop looking for war.
0: There's a lot of common ground in humanity if you can disconnect from your own agenda long enough to see it.
1: Yeah. So Psalm 140, prayer for deliverance from evil men. Verse two, I wrote down here. Evil men continually gather for war. These guys are always looking for a fight. I I don't know if this is like a progression. Uh, I suppose it is a progression of David's thoughts over time as he's continually dealing with with Saul and Saul's men coming after him over and over and over again. But evil men are constantly looking for a fight. And so it's sort of like it builds on what we were just reading. Look for peace. Stop looking for the fights chapter uh, verse three talks about tongues like a serpent and poisonous words oh they sharpen their tongues like a serpent the poison of asps is under their lips so pay attention to how you speak and when you get into confrontational circumstances you know these guys who are coming at you looking for a fight they don't have your best interests in mind their words are going to be poison so i guess even to that degree how you know think about how much you even want to pay attention to that
0: well, in, in 141, it actually talks about this a little more directly and from the positive point of view. Like, there's been a whole lot of, like, take down my enemies, take down my enemies, take down my enemies. But in 141, he says, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. Set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds. Mm-hmm. So this is... This is where it gets personal, right? So there's a whole lot of like, that guy is a thorn in my side. That guy is plotting against me. But here's where it brings it home. Like, don't let me go that way. Like, hear me and guard me and keep me safe. And and don't let my heart be drawn to what is evil. I like that. I thought that was really cool.
3: Yep. It's there's some he's asking for help, but he's not asking for to be excused from it. From, from his challenges, but he does say, set a guard over my mouth. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, like, help me be responsible for what's in my, you know, uh, for me. And, and, you know, do not let my heart incline to evil. Yeah, And then he says, you know, in the company of men who work iniquity, let me not eat of their delicacies. He's he's saying, "Hey, yeah, I'm going to put some boundaries down here. You help me with my heart, yeah. but I'm not going to hang around with them and, and you know, be partakers with them Because I mean it's it's disingenuous to say Oh protect me And keep me from all wrong Yeah but I've got to hang out with them
2: Don't mm. let me get sucked in Yeah
0: Easy to do uh, th- There's a lot of fighting ground in the world
1: Yeah yeah, absolutely Verse 9 Let the evil of their lips cover them Again People who are speaking poorly speak, People who are speaking foolishly if you let them talk instead of trying to shut them down, if you let them talk, they they'll bury themselves. You know, their own words will bury them. And and just it's basically like let them go. Just let it just let it go and it's going to if that will take care of itself. Verse 11, let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. So basically it's like violence violence is its own punishment. It leads now? to its own huh? Chapter
0: 140 oh I was in 141
1: sorry yeah. okay yep yeah you had kind of moved on that's fine i'm just I'm just bouncing through here uh, but violence is its own punishment and and it's going to lead to its own downfall so if you know anybody who is li- leading a violent life it, it it will not be good for them and verse 12 the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted this is another reminder don't think that God is ignoring you or forgetting you uh yeah for so so 141.
3: Verse five basically says, well literally it says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a yeah. kindness. Let him rebuke me, for it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it.
1: Yeah, so correction correction from a righteous person,
3: it's a good thing.
1: It's a reminder to us that we don't always have it all put together, you know? And we shouldn't we shouldn't be adverse to being corrected. You know, I'm I'm one who well, heck, I make a lot of mistakes, and um, I would hate to go through my life never having anybody tell me that I've done something wrong. There's been times here on the podcast, well, shoot, just a week or two ago, I, I was going off about how I was saying Samuel was was uh, was crowned king, and, and Eric quickly corrected me. And I was very glad you did, because I would have gone off on that for who knows how long. It's good to get corrected, because correction strengthens you. It helps you grow. Mm-hmm. and and so that's what he's that's what he's kind of saying there again let the wicked fall into their own nets these guys these people these these people will they'll get caught up in their own in their own things eventually 142 a plea for relief from persecutors I will cry I cry out to the Lord with my voice uh, I pour out my complaint before him now that's one you know if if things are going bad, Go ahead and complain to God about it. Again.
3: Well, I just point out in three and verses three and four of one forty two, David again is talking about his his feelings and his soul. In uh, three, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way, the path where I walk. And in four, he said, No refuge remains to me, no one cares for my soul. And that's being pretty honest and pretty raw. Yeah. He's talking to God, um, and he's just Saying, hey, look, I, I'm feeling like nobody even cares for my soul.
2: And I think you kind of look at it in context, and he's in a cave. You know, that's kind of like the the midnight hour. Yeah. It's dark, it's damp, it's lonely. And, yeah, I feel like I got nothing.
3: You well, know? That's not where he stops, but that's where he stays. And that, I mean, that's where he is at yeah. the moment. At the moment, and, yep. And I think it's okay to... Have down days. about that. To say, you know what? Sometimes, I mean, here's even David feeling like, I got nobody. I got nothing. Nobody's watching out for my soul. And he he says, you know, hey, in five, I say, you're my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Like, you're what I have. That's that's what I've got. Not just like, oh, someday in heaven it'll be good. He's like, no, right now in the land of the living, like, you're it. That's what I get. And he, he asks in verse seven, bring me out of prison and he's not in a literal prison. He's in a he's in a he's in a, in a prison of the soul. He is being chased down by Saul, and um, he he ends up. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. So you go through quite an emotional range in a really short chapter. Mm-hmm.
0: I've always felt like David was the first documented case in history of untreated bipolar. <laughs>
1: Maybe I don't know. You know, I guess what I'm where I came from from these psalms this week is that David is coming from a very honest position. He is he's not afraid to complain to God. Mm-hmm. He's not to he's not afraid to ask God for uh, deliverance from enemies. He's not a, he's not afraid to ask God for punishment for enemies. He's just being honest with God, and this is a guy who is described as being after God's own heart,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so you know it's 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 fine it's perfectly fine to talk to god like this to ask him anything to pour out anything don't feel don't feel like you're burdening god don't feel like you're you know don't it, it, there's never a time to ever feel embarrassed about sharing something to god just pour out just pour out your heart and you know somewhere it says you know if you if you if you're asking something according to god's will it'll happen but that doesn't mean that everything we have to say to God is according to his will. You know, we'll learn his will through prayer. We'll learn his will through time. And so it's a, it's good to to just pour it out. Just, just share it all. I mean, if you can't be honest with the one who made you, who can you be honest with, right?
0: Well, and, and I would take that a step further and say he already knows. So in being honest with him you you become more honest with yourself Mm -hmm. like having a thought or a feeling is one thing being able to articulate it and being willing to let it out is completely another because there there are plenty of people who are like they they will deny part of their feelings because they wish it wasn't so right so the the um this this is that that is one of the values of actually expressing in an honest fashion not just feeling in an honest fashion but actually articulating it putting it into words and owning those feelings it's like this is where i'm at like it's not pretty but here i am
1: yeah well i think that will wrap up our discussion this week for this uh i said fistful i think it was two fistfuls of psalms it was maybe a lot to tackle at one time we will continue next week we'll get back into first samuel 25 through 27 and then we'll have a small little handful of psalms. And I looked through them already. They're all, they're all pretty short. 17, 35, 54, and 63. It sounds like a whole bunch of chapters, but most of those chapters are pretty short. Uh, while you're waiting for that, you can reach out to us at podcast at theadventure.org. You can look for us on Facebook. Just look for us, Adventure Through the Bible. Be sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you reach us in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.
0: So I looked up. Um, I looked up any more references to Ichabod. And yeah. There was there was one reference to him later.
3: In and, New England. Huh? Is it, is it in New England?
0: <laughs> New England? Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Um, they changed his last name. It was crazy. Um, anyway, it it turns out that he had he had an older brother. And it talks about him and his brother both being alive. So I looked up all of that. And this was in 1 Samuel 14? Yeah. And um, so I looked it up in my timeline Bible, the year that he was born, and then the year that he's referenced later. And he was 54 in that later chapter. Hmm. And his brother, who apparently was already born at the time, since his mom dies right then, in giving birth, um is however much older than that. So Ichabod at least made it to 54. That's an interesting question though that Shannon asked because um, like talking about, gosh, was it uh was it Jericho where God said whoever tries to rebuild the city will lay the first stone at the at the cost of the life of his eldest child and the last stone at the cost of his youngest child. Yeah. I think it was Jericho and then later it says and so and so rebuilt Jericho and he did so at the cost of blah 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 and it references back to that curse right so that was all I found about Ichabod and his bro but um, mm-hmm. they at least made it Ichabod made it to 54
1: huh well, that name Ichabod I was just looking it up I knew it had it means inglorious and so mm-hmm. so Eric Eric talked about Ichabod Crane that He's supposed to be a pretty plain, normal dude.
3: Not very... Uh, so, it's like the name was chosen specifically. Yeah. Yeah.